Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm John O'Grant, one half of Joda with Darren Tate, and you're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck, Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. Would you say Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the Rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, we're back on Zoom over to the UK interviewing Joda. Uh, if you're not familiar, Joda is a is a brand new duo uh, of Jonathan Grant and Darren Tate. Jonathan is one third of the global trance superstars above and beyond, and he's also the co-founder of the Anjuna Beats and Anjuna Deep labels. Darren is a producer composer um, under the name DT8 and and many other aliases. He's also the founder of Mondo Records. Um, and they came together during uh, the COVID lockdown to, to create this Joda project and uh, release their self-titled album out now on Anjuna Beats. Um, the album is, is kind of blending uh, 80s influences, especially you know, some of the heavy synth modern rock bands of the time with, with sort of a modern trance electronic production. And it's a really interesting partnership. And we, we get into some details about their their approach to creativity, how they give each other feedback, criticism, create room for experimentation, and uh, and generally kind of support each other while at the same time maybe pushing each other to bring their best to the table. Uh, we also talked something uh, that I find really interesting about how the tools, in this case, uh, analog synthesizers really affected their creative output and their, their excitement even for the process. Um, something that uh, at least I don't often think about is uh, you know how how the instruments the tools of what you're making affects how you go about it so it's good stuff I hope you enjoy it let's get into the interview right now with Joda but I always like to start at the beginning and kind of and kind of how how we got to this point um, so I'm, a, I'm a, I'll ask you both do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? I think the first record I actually bought myself may have been, certainly on CD anyway, may have been mm-hmm. Enigma Sadness CD single. And I went halves with my brother on it. It was, it was nice. about £3.99 and we split the cost. And Sure. Um, I think that was the first one. But I, the first sort of record that I remember being significant was uh the album Petra Boys Please that was that was the first one I had on cassette and I just played mm-hmm. it over and over again. my Walkman flipped it over the other side we played again and again yeah nice good record um, yeah I, 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 um, 
Um, and also, Blue, I suppose New Order Blue Monday was another one I had. That yeah, one as well as massive. the early one. Yeah. Nice. I think it was mine with the Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. It's the first okay. thing I, I seem to remember. I, I mean, I don't know where it is now, but I did. It's like, but that was, you know, obviously it wasn't been around, but that was, I, that's at least what I can remember. Nice. Um, that or maybe, um, I don't think I really put it. First record I ever played was uh, was a theme for something to do with Sesame Street, but I don't think that's <laughs> one that I necessarily want to have on my. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, that's interesting though. Um, and then what about you know wh- what we consider sort of modern dance music? What what was what was your what were your introductions to? to do you remember your first rave or or your kind of getting turned on to dance music for the first time? I can remember exactly what got me into it, which um, for me, I wasn't actually into dance music for, for years. I actually kind of hated it. And my brother was the guy who was into dance music. And mm. what happened was, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I got hold of it off him, but I got a copy of Paul Oakenfold's Go Mix on cassette. Um, and it was taped off the radio. You know, I, I don't know if you ever did that when you were a kid. Yeah, of course. Yeah, just sort of recording stuff off the radio. And so he'd recorded the Go mix. It was Radio One's essential mix, Paul Oakenfold off the radio. And I went on holiday to Australia. And that's when I really bonded with that mix from memory was when I kind of, yeah, listened to that on holiday again and again and again. And it was mainly actually the first two tracks that I remember mm-hmm. being amazing, which was a track by Lee Kwan Point Zero, which was Matt Derry under a pseudonym. And the other track was um, Grace Skin on Skin, the Orange Mix, which was a Paul Oakenfold production. Um, It was a a remix of a U2 track that he then took the vocals off and did another version of. I think it was U2 Lemon. So yeah, that had a huge impact on me. and, and I was like, wow, this is really musical. This is interesting. Because um, I think I was just rebelling against, you know, the fact my brother was into dance music originally. I couldn't like the same thing as him. It was silly. Sure. Really. But uh, so I was more into like pop music, rock music, jazz, all that kind of, you know, everything from like Steely Dan to Pet Shop Boys. So there was an electronic thing going on there as well. Mm-hmm. But it, it it didn't really blossom until until I heard that Paul Oakenfold mix and I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. I like this. I want to make some stuff like this. Yeah. I mean, I think so often it's about, you know, who introduces us to something or the setting, the context, how, how we discover these things could be the same record. Right. But, but presented in a different way. And, and we just have a totally different reaction to it. What what about you, Darren? I had to kind of, wasn't that dissimilar in a way, but in that, um, I had a friend, it was when I was at university. He was really into. He used to listen to uh, Pete Tong's Essential Selection on Radio One, and the the thing then. And he was trying to get me. I had all the. I had a studio set up at university, but I was doing rock bands and all kinds of stuff and music theatre. And he would bring around tapes of Pete Tong and say, "Oh, and and so." And then I started hearing tracks. I thought, you know what? I really like this because it's got the dance energy but then it's got all this kind of musical sense of you know the kind of music i connected with emotionally you know i found uplifting and so i so so i got got interested and started making those records and but to be honest i never really went out clubbing and 
and I remember actually Amanda Reardon, who was the first singer for me on the Angelic Records, mm. she said to me on when I did it to my turn, which was the first top twelve record I had in the charts here. She said, "What? Well, um, I don't understand, Darren. You've made this record. You no, don't ever go out. You've never been <laughs> and yet you've made this big club record." Sure. And so, and she, and then, and then I got to see it actually play live at. Um, it was a um, homeland love parade. One of the one of the festivals that we did uh, in in um, just uh, the north of England. And anyway, it, it was incredible. You know, the, the whole crowd went mad. And then I realised that you know how well it was kind of music connected with people, and and so one thing led to another. Yeah, I mean that, that's so interesting too. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it seems to be one of the themes of of this album, uh, from reading your your bios and some of the background, is just uh, how how people are are going to listen to or enjoy your music. Then kind of affects the way that you make it. Um, and you know, as you say, sitting in a studio and you know, yep. you know, it's very different than going and seeing it out at a club or seeing people you know react to the music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, also after I heard that Goa mix, I think I was about 14 at the time, something like that. After I heard that, I was then sort of like, you know, when I got to 16, I sneaked into a few nightclubs and started to hear dance music in nightclubs. And that's when I really, really connected with it. Once I saw sure. and heard it on the system, what was fascinating about it was the fact that you'd hear a sound in the studio, or not in the studio, I mean, my bedroom studio, let's say, you'd hear it sound at home, and you'd go, "Oh, that sounds nice," and then you'd hear it on a big system, and it, and you, and you kind of think, "God, wow, that sound sounds completely different on this big system," um, and it made it influenced the kind of sounds you would use in the records, and I found that sort of fascinating that dis not disconnect, but the difference between those two things of how you'd make something, or how you what you choose to do, you know once you understood how things worked in a big room and still to this day you know there's a there's a lot of thought that goes into that i think in in records in terms of where they're going to be played there's a really good book called how music works by david byrne mm -hmm. yeah i love that book yeah and that book sort of you know talk it's not about dance music but it talks about this kind of stuff and 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 you know the, the way the nature of the music is as you, if you've read the book you'll know you know is based on the room it's going to be played in whether if it's sure. stadium guitar you have a nice little delay on the guitar but you wouldn't have tons of reverb maybe because it'd be washed out and mm -hmm. and so that kind of always fascinated me as well about dance music because it does need and, and during covid uh, you know which leads into joda i found myself a little bit disconnected from dance music and a little bit more reconnected with the music that got me into dance music and you know the early days in a way that's really interesting. We actually had the opposite uh, experience being being locked at home. We started listening to dance music again more, and my wife would dance around the house and just kind of have our own, you know, uh, our own little experiences, and, and we reconnected that way. But yeah, I totally get. I mean, I think these, you know, certainly the pandemic has has changed or reshaped how music's being made, how it's being consumed and enjoyed, and you know, our connection to it. You guys talked about you know, those early records that I think we all just played over and over and over, you'd wear out the tape, you know, and, uh, and that's so, 
different in some ways now, I think, when there's this onslaught of new music just constantly coming at us. Uh, you know, those those first ones were the only ones we had, so we had to play them over and over. And now it's, I think, very different. Um, it's funny also, you know, I was thinking it, in the 90s, I was managing gangster rappers here in L.A., and and same thing. You'd come out of the studio, and you'd take the tape to whoever had the biggest sound system in their car in the parking lot, and and we'd go listen to it there and, and hear what that sounds like because that was sort of the the intended listening environment, right, how, how you anticipated people really enjoying that music. Um, so so what about uh, getting getting started kind of making music? Was there somebody for you guys that, that really – helped you get started or shaped your approach early on as you as you go from you know kids and kind of amateurs to becoming professional musicians um well i i started learning piano when i was four i mean i i i think basically my my great-grandparents was very lucky to know they had a baby grand piano mm. and i thought I'd go over there and I'd hit the keys and they'd go, for God's sake, get him some lessons. <laughs> I was having to listen to him attempt to do whatever he's attempting to. And so nice. that was the first thing. And then I went on and kept doing, you know, eventually I was still learning piano and other instruments and um, theory and what have you. And, and you know, I, I would start, I, I start hijacking my own, uh piano lessons um instead of practicing like i was supposed to i'd start discussing compositional ideas i had when i was supposed to be practicing with my teacher because he was a composer i'd quickly (laughs) get him to do what he was what he was supposed to be teaching me and he said oh oh, okay let's let's look at that instead then um and then you know but all through this and i think this also applies to jono if i'm not mistaken uh i was had a weird fetish for electronic instruments, especially. Mm. Um, I remember being a kid at like eight or nine and going to the London Rock Shop in Camden, which at the time was one of those places you'd go to check out gear and um, and just wanting it all, you know, and going, God, there's so many buttons and it just looks great and I just would like to have this. Mm. And so it became this kind of sense of, um, you know, um, you know, kind of, we kind of grew up with this evolution in technology, um, yeah. and and kind of learned to appreciate it and love it, and and so there was a passion and a hunger there, while this compositional side was going on, and so that's what really led to me doing what I'm doing. I think that's cool. Yeah, for us in the states, it was Guitar Center, and you could just go in there, and they'd let you just. Bang yeah. on the keyboards as long as you as long as I, you I've been to guitar I've been to guitar since I banged on the keyboards there as well. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, I think for me, very similar to, to Darren actually. When I was about four, something like that, I was playing the piano. Uh, my gran actually taught me how to play the piano because she was she was a piano teacher part time hmm. as well. Um, and I but I just developed my own passion very similar to Darren where. I didn't really practice the things I was supposed to practice as much. And I kind of experimented, but luckily the environment was such that, you know, my mum didn't really pressure me too much. She was, you know, a bit eye rolly about, Oh, aren't you going to learn that piece? But at the same time, I think she let me follow my heart with it and, and do what I want to do. And I think the Jean-Michel Jarre thing, I know you've, you've interviewed uh, Jean-Michel Jarre, yeah, haven't yeah. you? Awesome. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome guy. What I think is great about him is he's still, in, he's still as enthusiastic or at least, I imagine he is as when he started and mm-hmm. 
um, I had the pleasure of meeting up with him a few years ago and having dinner with him because we did a remix for him. But he um, nice. he inspired me. I, my parents had his, um, it was a vinyl of the essential Jean-Michel Jarre. So it was kind of the best of at that point in his career. And I remember miming on the, on, the, on the sofa when I was a kid, like miming to this stuff. And like, you know, I saw things like his Docklands gig on TV and just was like, wow, this is incredible. Um, and it was also a good bridge for me, that kind of music to get into to dance music because it was sort of more musical dance music. It, well, mm-hmm. it wasn't electronic music, it wasn't dance music, but it was very musical electronic music. And then so, as I grew up, I just found ways to sort of get my hands on various synthesizers and, you know, did whatever I needed to do, mowed the lawn, you know, you know, just saved up money and just would end up occasionally buying a piece of equipment. I bought a really bad drum machine, this Yamaha RX-17. It was rough. Which I also had. I also bought the same one. <laughs> yeah, the same one. Exactly the same one. <laughs> yeah, you know, we could, have, we could have got all sorts of drum machines in that era. That's funny. That wasn't the same one. That's funny. Yeah, I had one anyway. And then I managed to get a Juno 106. Um, but the, actually, the first synth I had was a Yamaha SYD5. And that was... Um, like a digital synth that could do a bit of everything mm-hmm. and that enabled me to start writing music and I think it was you know also being around people at school had some really good had a really good music teacher who again was just encouraging to sort of be creative um which was really important I think it's important that kids get to run free with it a bit and Absolutely. then every, yeah and then every lunchtime in secondary school um when I was you know between the age of like 12 and 15 or so I, I would spend a lot of time. There was a little studio set up. They just had like a sequencer, two synths and a little mixer. And, and I just started playing with that as well. And that was around the time that I got that Yamaha keyboard. And, um, you know, I just, there was never any question that this is what I wanted to do once I got into it. I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about it. It was just like something I was enthusiastic about. And then when I went to university, um, I got the opportunity through a friend of a friend um, who was working in the music industry to remix a track called Strike, You Sure Do, which is a big house, a sort of 90s house hit. Um, mm-hmm. I did it on, on spec, uh, which meant, you know, just if, if they didn't like the remix, the record label, they wouldn't have been released. Sure. But they liked it. And then it went on the radio um, on Kiss FM over here, which is like one of the main stations in London. And it got on the A-list and it started getting heavy rotation. So that was the first thing that I had sort of some, a degree of success with. Um, and then, yeah, I was at university studying commercial music, and which is like music business and production. Mm-hmm. And I found I got more from the business side than from the production because you kind of, if you're really into that, you learn it anyway. So I, I figured out pretty quickly that I should learn some of the business side because I, I was going to find my own way with the production anyway. And yeah. so that's what I kind of did. And then, and then, um, you know, started the record label with Pavo and Gina Beats, that is, um, and started above and beyond uh about a year or two later with tony um and then that was the three of us and then dj'd a lot and made a lot of music and, and sort of carried on doing that for 20 years really yeah yeah nice so let's go with that a little bit you, you guys both uh run record labels uh, that are very successful and so i'm curious how does how does being a label owner sort of change your approach to making music and obviously in dance music it's very a lot of everyone kind of has their own labels, but a lot of times that's just their vehicle for releasing their own music. And you guys have, have gone well beyond that and, and have, you know, quote unquote, real labels. 
Um, how, how's that changed the creative approach also being the label owner? I think it's, I think it's actually really challenging because what everybody else gets that you as a label owner don't get so much is A&R. So people send us records. I'm sure it's the same for Darren, you know, send us records and ask for feedback on them. And as a label owner, I've kind of found myself in this position where I have to be my own A&R guy or I have to have a handful of people who I trust for an honest opinion on something that they're not just going to say, yes, it's great, you know. Sure. Uh, because it, it, you do need a little bit of that sometimes. I think there's advantages and disadvantages to having that level of freedom, um, you know, because some records would never have been made if there was an A&R guy saying, hey, that's rubbish. Or <laughs> right. if come out. So there's, there's, there's an advantage to that and there's a disadvantage to that. And I, I always, it, it, what it does do, I would say, is it informs personally how I try at least to treat artists because I'm very aware that there isn't one way of doing things. And if you say to an artist, yeah, I don't like that. Or, you know, not into this. That's, you know, it's not always helpful because, or, or you'd prefer, if you'd prefer something another way, yeah. I try and as an A&R guy, I try and present that as in, this is how I would do it, but you know, you should follow your heart on it and do it your way. But this is, this, these are my thoughts. Cause I've just seen so many situations where I've been on the other side of it, where A&R people have kind of got it wrong and then, uh, records gone on to be a roaring success or sure, you know. yeah of course um but it, but it, it's a really tricky thing to balance i don't know how you feel about it um darren you know being an artist and a r there's two quite different skills aren't they yeah no absolutely um it's like people like putting your different caps on they say isn't it mm -hmm. i mean it's it's an interesting position we've been in with this project because you know, it's really not. Not only did we do does especially obviously it was on John's label. So is there the fact that we are taking the um, helm in terms of the creative direction? But on top of it, it was a new direction. Mm -hmm. So you know, you're making decisions. You're you're really figuring out the entire direction of the project as you're going along. This kind of it's no there's no specific rule book. There are there are pro, there are procedures, but we had to have an idea in our heads what we wanted mm -hmm. and, and figure it out. And and so, you know, it's, it was very tricky to just say to someone, well, what do you think or where do we go? You know, I think um and I think in my experience, the best a lot of the A and R guys that have been the best ones will be the ones who have gumption, have the one been the ones that have had real you know they've not followed the the easy way out they've not gone oh this is a remix and so it's already proved tried and tested and so it's easy sure. just rehash it again they've gone i you know i i had one of my biggest records was a track called the theme literally nearly every label rejected that record um and then apart from one sony one guy at sony had the gumption to actually say Mm. Um, you know, oh no, I think this has got something and it, it just shows you how, well not fickle, but just, you know, it, it's, it's so subjective, Yeah. you know, one's opinion. So you can't just necessarily rely on the person's opinion. You have to make informed decisions. And, and I think you have to, you know, really believe in what you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's a key, key part of it all. So Think about that creative process, and I've read some of uh, some other interviews with you guys are talking about sort of feedback and creating this this freedom to just create. Um, 
and to kind of, you know, say what, say if you like something or if you don't, or, you know, and, and I think those are such fundamental skills for, for all of us. Um, and so what do I want? I, I want some tips. Give me, t- teach me a little bit of, you know, how do you create this sort of safe space, but also honest, you know, direct feedback and, and kind of, you know, not, uh, not getting each other's way too much. I think what you just said, like, if we talk about it, like Darren, I uh, remember Darren saying, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but let's try this. Or, you know, mm-hmm. just literally putting that out there on the table that this is the way it's going to be between you as a partnership is really important just so that you know that's the way it is. And it, it's really, it's just important. I think if I look at my own biggest fear, if I go into the studio um, with someone else, I don't know, maybe it's that, oh, they're going to find me out. You know, it's the imposter syndrome thing and, <laughs> yeah. and that, that, that I'm not going to come up with anything. And, and yet, you know, I've made all these other tracks, but in my head, I, you know, I don't have a big ego about that. It's like, you're only sure. as good as your last record in, in a way. And, and I, I think that um, you've got to leave that behind in some ways and also create an environment where you feel comfortable. And I think the way, one of the ways you do that is just simply by talking about it and, mm-hmm. and just, being open, you know, verbally, just making sure that you all know that you're open to experimentation and that some things that happen in the room are going to be failures and that's okay. And, you know, the idea that there's this kind of gusto about, yeah, we're going to get in the studio together and we're going to make a hit and we're going to do this. I suppose a little bit of that can carry you some way sometimes. And I think there is a time for sort of like having belief in what, you know, strong belief in what you're doing and then seeing it through. There is some value in that, but... Mm -hmm. And, and there's a, as an aside to that, I also think that's one of the most magical feelings in the studio when there's two of you there. And it's much better when there's more than just you. Um, mm-hmm. You feel you've got something really great and you both know it. That's a that's a wonderful feeling. But, I, but yeah. yeah, I think just being open, being open to new stuff, be, not being dogmatic about certain things. No, it has to be this way. It has to be that way. And I think when when both parties involved in a partnership have that and, and, uh, and are sort of open to being wrong and open to failing, that's when you get the good stuff. Um, and there's a time for sort of knuckling down and using all the stuff that you do know from experience when you're mixing the record and things like that. Well, there's also a time for experimentation there too. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, it's it's a mindset that I think you develop between you as a partnership and just remind each other of at times. Um, and it's being open to change as well, because there's sometimes when we'd be in the studio and we'd, we'd both be quite attached to a particular part in a song. And, and it's a very common thing that happens, I think. And then, you know, in some of those tracks, we ended up throwing away that bit. And it was the right thing mm-hmm. to do. It got us to a new place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the right thing to do. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of an agreed approach you have between you, I think, more than anything. Mm. Yeah, I love that answer. I mean, I think, you know, first of all, there's a lot of talk these days about imposter syndrome and, you know, in the context of mental health and the pressures on, on successful or creative people. Um, and I think the way you said it, you know, imposter syndrome is important, right? That, that feeling keeps us grounded in a lot of ways and it may be uncomfortable and that's okay too. Right. But, but we need that without, without that, we're just, you know, rampant ego and, and, uh, you know, without the, the checks and balances, um, yeah. and that's often what leads us to do our best work. I have a trick, you know, whenever I'm pitching, uh, or, or needing the, the freedom to, to create, right. Is I always, 
I always preface what I'm about to say with, let me just share a bad idea. Right? Yeah. And, and so it immediately takes the pressure off me because if it's a bad idea, I just, you know, I, I, I told you that already. Um, and, it, you know, probably a, a good chunk of the time someone goes, you know what, that's actually not a bad idea because I've also taken the pressure off of them to sit there and be the judge. Um, and that, that's sort of served me really well. And I think it's similar to, to what you guys are describing of like, let's just try <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I completely agree with what you said. And Darren actually, um, you know, the amount of times he said, Jono, this is going to sound crazy, but, you know, and which is a similar <laughs> what you're saying there. And, yeah. and, and, and I love that about Darren and working with Darren because that's really important. That's exactly the right way to be, I think, in the, in the studio. And, and you're right, you know, about a imposter syndrome. I think the tendency for artists and, or anybody who has that, once they want to get rid of it, Right, but it's really about getting rid of it, is it? It's about managing it, if anything, and, using it. And, yeah, using it as well, and getting yeah. rid of some. It's part of you, and it's the you know it's part of your programming as well. So, you know, you got to embrace it a little bit. Some of the some of the quirks we all have, right? Mm -hmm. I do think there's something to be said though for the um. There is there is one of the I think the key disciplines that you learn when you make music is like that is knowing to, when to say. You know, I think it's the same way we talk about um, being able to. You know, sometimes it's good to take a take a break from something and you know get fresh ears. Especially that mainly applies to engineering, I think. But um, just you get a perspective on things. You know, your mm -hmm. your brain. We get we get kind of when we hear something in repeatedly over over and over again, we get conditioned in, sure. in a way. I'll break, get decent, not conditioned, but desensitized. I think is actually the right word. Yeah. Um, so you know, then we've we've been there, and so even like Jono mentioned before, when when we when we've quickly put together some of something for the initial ideas on this first album, um, we were very pleasantly surprised when we reopened the book on them sometime later and went, wow, you know, because they were like we hadn't worked with them long enough to know them that well, mm -hmm. um, and so you know, and that that just you know, there's there's part of you that knows on a gut level you'll you'll know, and this is part of the discipline of working in the business long enough. You'll know something's not right. You'll know something needs cutting. But then there's still that part of the way in which we work where we do get, you know, this this be desensitized like that and, and, and so can get fresh opinions um, yeah, by I hearing think, things again. And I think that, that that was part of the process as well. I mean, I think that's so interesting and, and it's, it's something that, you know, I, I think about a lot is, is how do you know when a project is done? When when a song's finished or a, or the album or whatever, right? <laughs> it never is. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. When 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 the when the label is going, where the hell is this thing? <laughs> of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then if you're the label, right, it's that's all the harder because uh, you don't have anybody else to blame. But but no, I mean, I think that's part of the that that's I think one of the tougher parts of the creative process, right, is knowing when to stop. Um, and especially yeah, I mean, when you're when you're desensitized to some of those things because you've just heard. I think it for I think there is there straight. is there's a there's a point where you can draw a line under something. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even with the first album, uh, after <laughs> yeah, we sent it off, and yes, it's gone off to be pressed for vinyl, everything, and then one of us will go, "Oh, you know, I I'm sure we can." <laughs> tweak this you know yeah. and, and 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 if there is an avenue to do it then we'll take it but at the yeah. same time it wasn't like we got to a point with it where we thought 
it's not break it's not make or break if this thing doesn't happen. It's just embellishing and well. wanting to. <laughs> but sure. I mean, yeah. and we, but there, there were two of us, and not <laughs> we are not. I don't think we're we're, we're certainly um have some degree of perfectionism uh but um there is but there is there is there are limitations and 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 i think also you know um you you can't you get to a point with something and 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 it and you know in it, it like yes maybe there's this you can do maybe there's that but i think i think you can get to a point where you're happy enough let's put it that way mm-hmm. um and i think we did with that first album yeah. i still nice. you know for above and beyond tracks there's still times when i'll end up loading an old track and changing the level of some the vocal that bothered me 10 years ago if it'll still load mm-hmm. uh, so it, it, it never goes away. <laughs> but i think also i think also what darren said you know there's a time there's a time in the studio to sort of be open to new ideas and there's a time to kind of knuckle down and get the arrangement done or get you know move on and get something done so yeah. i mean different different mm. times for for different modes of being and, and sure. in yeah, as well. Nice. So I know you guys had collaborated uh, in the past, um, and I, I know you kind of got reunited through through a film score, right? Um, I'm curious what what draw you what drew you to to want to collaborate again, you know, on, on this project. You know, what what was that spark that um, that you guys said to each other, Let, let's go do this. I think the first thing was that we were having a lot of fun doing the film score and stuff as well. And mm-hmm. um, there was a natural window of time where we were waiting on the director to bring back the final cut. So we had some kind mm-hmm. of spare time where we couldn't we couldn't work more on the film because it would have been wasted time. And um, and COVID started to happen around this time as well. But it was before it was just before that. And I said to Darren, come to come to the studio and let's let's um, you know check out my studio because I've been working in his studio because yeah. he's very much set up for all the all the uh, you know film score stuff with all the strings and stuff. And and so Darren came down to my studio and I happened to have a lot of old analog synthesizers which weren't getting turned on as much as I would have liked. And Darren started turning them on. And um, <laughs> but look, we we had a lot of fun. I mean, I, I sound, I sound very rude, don't I? I like oh, Darren. No, no, down, it's good. Darren just, no, Darren you just sound, you himself, sound curious. He just, just he went into the fridge. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things. It's not that I didn't use them ever. It's just that he turned maybe more of them on than I had. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. So, um, so then we started playing around with those, and then we made a track called "Shape of Your Heart," which is on the album. And um, we didn't know what we were doing, what we were making. We were just having fun doing it, which is great. It was that, mm-hmm. back that sort of curiosity, childlike kind of playful thing that, that mm-hmm. be what creativity should be about. But I think what oh. happens invariably in, in the music business is the business can get in the way. And then, you know, the record label needs the next single or something. There's external things that come in. And, and this, was a, this was a thing that happened where there was no external kind of, tail wagging the dog or whatever um you know it was just pure yeah. like joy and the fun of making music without mm. any so so then we'd made that first track and then um we did a couple more and then I, I just said why don't we knock out an album of this stuff you know it'd be fun to do just just and darren was like yeah all right why not 
and then we then we came up with the album really over the coming yeah. months. It was nice. it was very it was a very organic process, I think, because it was it said why why that we had this track called We Find Ourselves, which whether the mm-hmm. title came about subconsciously or not, I think there was some they're very it's very key idea because it was it was a journey of discovery not just into doing something different but in terms of looking back on things that we had grown up with and loved and you know we we had a passion for all kinds of music yet in some ways have been respectively you almost get boxed in sometimes you know especially probably harder for Jono in a way because he's got such a successful performing act um that is a mechanism um so you know and then there is an expectation to do things in a certain way um so doing something about having brought up and being you know he's a, a capable musician that's learned all the different these different things and had been passionate about music and all the different genres and he's you know and then not had all this and had all these influences and heard all this music and grown up with this music to to actually sit down and start going well what would i like to do for a change in a way yeah. You know, sure. what would I, what would I like to go back and try doing that? Would I like to yeah. go down? Would I like to try the, and the same apply and the same also for, you know, John is singing on, I know he did do a couple of tracks of Bomb Beyond, but he's, you know, he started singing on the tracks and, and mm-hmm. there was a great symbiosis between his voice and the music we were doing um, stylistically. And then that kind of came about organically that him and, you know, and so, and I think that's part of why the relationship's working so well is because we're not, no one's, no one is making anyone feel bad. It's all like, oh, I love that, or let's yeah. try that, or let's have a go at that, and, and nothing's too stupid, and sure. and it's just created this very, and I'm, it's quite exciting because you know you can see how now it's it's like a flower that's blossoming into something. It's it's getting a shape, and it's you're seeing all the colors, and you can see how it can develop, and 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 it gives us the creative the flexibility creatively to do things that we might not have otherwise have done. Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. Um, So what are you talking about kind of some of these old records that inspired, uh, you know, this idea for this project. What were some of those records? Well, I suppose, you know, a lot of it growing up for me, I suppose I haven't mentioned Phil Collins, but Phil mm. Collins and is a huge influence for me. Um, so I, I suppose there are two areas of music that I, well, maybe, maybe two or three, but areas of music that I can identify with in terms of my main influences. And it would be music that my parents liked, but also music I was growing up with. And some mm-hmm. they liked that too, but they had a lot of you know, old records and like I say, the Jean Michel Jarre thing. That was I don't think I would have discovered that as quickly if my dad didn't have that on vinyl. Sure. So there was that kind of stuff. Um, but then um, a friend of mine, Richard, actually, who was a friend of my sister, he he had a lot of New Order albums as well, and um, I heard some a lot of their material and and Pet Shop Boys, um, and and then. And a boyfriend of my sister had um, loads of Depeche Mode records. So I heard a lot of those growing up and I always loved the synth sounds and the songwriting. Um, so I think that that kind of music really was 
the biggest influence. And then there was a band called Electronic, who mm -hmm. there was a spin-off of New Order, and you, you know, yeah, yeah, spin-off with jo Johnny Marr, wasn't it? And and Bernie from New Order, who created a side project, and that was a big sort of musical influence in my head as well. So, um, yeah, that and also dance music. You know, I think the the Joda, the music on the Joda album straddles that space between the sort of like you know 90s dance stuff and a bit of 80s and also some later stuff and we really wanted the production to be modern and in in a weird way it's sort of it's it's influenced by that retro stuff but at the same time there's no mm. point in doing that again you know right. it needs to have its own thing so it's it's drawing from some of those influences but it also is in a modern package in a way sure yeah what about you, Darren? Any any other records? Uh, I mean, about? I would say very similar to Jono, you know, the Duran Duran's Depeche Mode. I like Level 42. Mm. Um, you know, um, I, I, I've been in, as in, in terms of being influenced because I've done a lot of film music. So I like a lot of the film composers. I grew up studying composers, the classical mm -hmm. composers, especially like the more modern ones, the James uh, Newton Howards and... Um, you know, the Danny Elfman's and John Williams's and all them. So I, you know, passionate for that side of the music and bringing in nice. elements, but, but there is the, there's definitely that whole, that scene, especially, I suppose the eighties was particularly connected with me. And that's when I started messing with synthesizers and following down and getting drum machines. And th that was the music that was around at the time, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but we've got influences on our album from the nineties. We've, people have brought up Underworld, they brought Kavinsky, they brought up, you know, um, uh, Radiohead. You know, where, where um, there's 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 things that are um, uh, uh, that I've just got a mental dot. But I mean, there there are these, t t you know, the the things that we've covered, the things we've we've grown up with through each decade, yeah. um, and and got older with, and and so I think we were quite willing to just try putting it wasn't like it, it did belong to one decade it was like we, mm -hmm. we like this from the late 90s we have this um playlist called uh joda selects and i mm -hmm. think it's it kind of um says it all in a way because if you listen to it it's very diverse but it's yeah, music like that, and songwriting that, that really connects with us um that's so cool. i think and you can see our you can kind of see a window into our brains if you, nice. if you look at that yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll post that in the show notes uh, so people can check it out. That would be um, great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so you you had talked earlier about uh, working on more music. Um, so so if you know this first album came out sort of or or came to be in the middle of the pandemic, and as you said, you know, there's no touring, and and you know, felt like a time to create a different type of project. Um, what is the next one? You know, now we're we're in a different. The world's in a different place now. So, so what does that do to to your perspective on the next project? I think I think the question that I've got is is how we create. Obviously, the next album would be different. Every album should be different from the last one. But how do we create um, in 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 principle the same vibe where you know we had a lot of space, and that's the that's the key point. We had a lot of time and space to kind of work on it and you know let's say a lack of interference from external things and and sure. i think that's that's the key challenge as i see it is how do we recreate that again i'd love to you know i'd love to have like a studio somewhere in the countryside we go for two weeks even if it's more bite-sized sessions 
Um, yeah. It would be, be good to do stuff like that, I think, to, to sort of recreate a bit of the best of the pandemic, <laughs> that's such a term. But um, <laughs> what do you think, Darren? Well, I I think that the, while there is, we're a bit more stressed in terms of the amount of time we have at our, at our disposal, um, because obviously certain projects are up and running again. Um, mm -hmm. There is, on the other hand, we have a better idea of what we're doing. So from, I think, sonically and engineering point of view, and um, and and so we've already got a lot of ideas at certain degrees. Um, I'm I whether John is even aware of it. I I sit there occasionally knocking out more bits, um, which nice. which we will eventually sit down together and 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 work through. Um, mm -hmm. I do think it's I think the response online to this project has been overwhelmingly positive. People have embraced it in a great way that more and that includes you know the, the dance fanatics as well have embraced yeah. it which is which was the trick to me was winning them over and there are a lot of people and i said all the time going we can't we'd love to see you live and you know you can really see it the enthusiasm is there which mm -hmm. is such a motivational thing um so i i think and i think we, as as john has said you know we we enjoy working together i think it's it's almost therapeutic and I think it's important to, you know, I, I was doing a thing for a television program in America this week, um, but it's now I enjoyed doing that for a few days. And now I'm, uh, today I worked on something for Joda. And, and that's great. It's just yeah. great for creatively to be able to do different things. And so and, you know, I think the intention is going to be there to continue on, on with that in mind. It's just, it's just striking a balance and finding that's the right. time to do these things. Yeah, like Darren, we've got um, there's quite a few tracks we've written already. Plus, Darren's done some bits, as he said. Um, we've probably got enough for most of an album, but we want to approach it like we did the last album. We kind of we reached a point where we had maybe 15 tracks or something, and we cut it down and, and saved some for for the next one sort of mentality because mm -hmm. it just it just felt better to do it that way. I really want this project to be you know a situation where we're not sort of like trying to fill fill space with with stuff or no, something yeah, of course. It, it's really important to let well let's let's write 20 songs and let's pick the 10 we love or you know that yeah. sort of thing it's really important to me that that's the way this works um yeah I, and we whittle it down to the to the best yeah. the, or the most I don't, I don't, I, the best sorry. Well, together yeah, I was just going to say, I think I think neither of us would be satisfied with the, you know, we <laughs> we both care about it too much to want to, mm -hmm. you know, cut corners, basically. Sure. You know, we want to make sure that every everything is a moment to, to yeah. with with something like this, you know, and and it's also it's not just some of the decision making with these records is. It might be you love a record, but you don't find the space of it in an album because you're, the album takes you on a journey. It mm -hmm. just be it just might be there's no room for that extra left turn, or whatever you know, because it, it, the album itself is a is a is 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 a, a work in its flow from beginning to end. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't even mean there are tracks we might love, but they just may not fit on something that we're that. Do. So there's that creative side of it as well. Sure. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, I'm glad you say that. I mean. I should have said this at the beginning, but I, I really like the record. I've, I've been enjoying it. Um, and, and in particular, you know, 
kind of what you just said. I like I like the journey, and uh, and mm. especially, you know, as as uh, somebody who's you know streaming an endless supply of dance tracks, uh, where you're sort of left to create your own journey, or the algorithm maybe tries to do that for you. I think you know it's a it's a welcome kind of return to an album concept that that you know that takes you somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, it was really important. That was also really important. to. We wanted to make an album we were happy with and sort of not worry about the algorithm, you know. Yeah. Maybe maybe if we'd have been, you know, more intelligent about, um, you know, certain lengths of certain things or orders and things like that, we, but we specifically kind of, you know, made it, maybe made life harder for ourselves in some ways in, in the aim of, you know, making something that we hope people will listen to in a few years' time. Sure. Um, not just sort of tomorrow or yesterday. So that was yeah, that was great, important. And like Darren said, there, there's at least one track I can think of that we probably would have put on the album, but we had what we needed, and it just felt like we no, we're not going to shoehorn in another track, mm -hmm. make it even longer, or you know, we just didn't need it. So nice. so it's nice to be in a position where that can that can be there, and we can actually relax about it and go, well, that's there, that's great, and we'll yeah. put it on the next one. So yeah. So you talked a little bit about how your past experience kind of informed this project. Um, what about going forward? How do you think this this experience working together? Uh, how do you how do you expect that to impact your future projects? Uh, on, you know the stuff you're doing separately. You want to go first? Sure. I mean, I I'm you know it's. I, obviously, I do lots of different types of work. I think that, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I was tinkling around. This idea of all the old school gear and switching that on was something I was playing, started really getting into just before we started the album. Um, and I think what Jono and I have <laughs> become very, very much of that way of thinking um, mm. with some, some obsessive synth buying. Uh, that has happened as of in fact in fact John is sitting is now sitting behind, I don't I'm even sure. know why I put it back there um, <laughs> so I think there's there is that side of it a reappreciation of those tools we've had lying around yeah. um, I know John has been using even in some of the remixes he's been doing and new mixes been switching on the gear um, I, I think it's um, that's definitely one thing um, from a from a creative approach, um, and so you'll, we'll keep that's something that is going to be on our heads moving forwards mm -hmm. into answer the question. Um, nice. As is, but I think the other thing to say is that, and I think we both strongly agree on this. And and one of the things we do, and whether it drives each other mad or not, I don't know, but we often share tidbits of things that we come across our plate, whether it's a producer talking about something or a new plugin or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the relationship of being open and being able to discuss things. But it also is important because it shows that your willingness to keep learning because the world is changing and technology is changing and you have to embrace that. You know, we live in, a, you know, and especially as it becomes easier for people to access, you know, back in the day, you'd have to have quite a lot of money to go and record an album and have right. the kind of equipment that people now have on their laptop available to them. So there yeah, is yeah. more onus on taking the time to learn and keep up with the technology and to to be open-minded that doesn't mean to say there's there's great you still need the skill set and the appreciation mm -hmm. of what's come before 
but you've got to be willing to still learn things and 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 that makes you a better musician it makes you a better composer makes you a better engineer you know so i think that's i hope i answered the question there but i think i think um i think i think it's that constant need to learn is the thing we take forward as well sure yeah i mean darren whenever i work with darren one thing i'll say is that um darren always wants to innovate innovate and um yeah it's, it's very important darren and yeah i always take when, whenever i'm working with darren I always take that away of like pushing that bit further um but yeah using the hardware i mean yeah like i said i've just there's one here it's just <laughs> my wife's not as you can imagine my wife's not particularly happy about that bit yeah. <laughs> Me, um, she asked me when it's gonna video. I know it needs a mini kit. Impulse buy, but um, that's great. It's just, but hang on a second. Hang on, hang on. I've got, I've got this one here. (laughs) This one I've got. I've got that because Jono was like, "Oh look, go on eBay. The synthesizer is gonna be sold in an hour in like five minutes." I went. I didn't even think about it. I went. All right. I mean, we're we're basically insane. That's the the bottom line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so I think the. Yeah, the, the idea that, yeah, the innovation thing, but also, yeah, using the hardware, like Darren said, um, I just did some work on a remix, an above and beyond remix of um, We Find Ourselves, a Joda track that we cool. played at HGT 500 at, at, in LA last weekend. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was using some of the hardware on that, and I don't think I would have, I, I did, you know, use hardware on records, but I used a bit more than usual, let's say. Um so that was that was probably a little bit of the influence of the pandemic darren you know just sort of fall, falling back in love with the instruments because i suppose with with all the vintage synths and you know real instruments if you like rather than using your mouse there's nothing wrong with, with that on, on the sure. computer but yeah. there is an interaction you get even if the sound isn't better there's an experience you have and you end up doing things you wouldn't normally do with, with the software and the, it's the other the other way is true as well. You know, there's things you'll do with the software that you wouldn't do with the hardware, and they're both yeah. useful and valid. But I guess I, I wasn't I wasn't embracing the equipment. I kind of turned turned most of that off and and mm-hmm. was on, focused on using the uh, software a bit too much, and it's just redressed the balance. So that's been really, really, really nice. And I, I think if you think about it, there is a lot of nostalgia in things that we do as adults and. For me, you know, growing up, I always wanted to play with all those synthesizers, but I couldn't afford them. And now I've got them. Sure. And, you know, to not use them. you don't play to... with them. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's been yeah, great. Yeah. Reigniting that passion. Um, uh, that's great. And it's great that, you know, Joe has been very part, much part of that because the whole project has been based around all these synths, but bringing them into modern era. And, and that's, sure. that's the sweet spot for me. Doing those it's quite it's quite interesting as well because it's as john has said it's like with these synths it's they have their quirks and whatever they're, but they're very much hands-on you know you have mm. a controller you know mm-hmm. you've kind of got mm-hmm. everyone you can access a lot of what you need in front of you but on the other hand um there is that you know by having it in a computer and doing the same thing with the mouse you can very easily undo what you've done you don't have to print recordings through analog outputs of a synthesizer you don't commit things so they're two completely different ways approaches and so while the mouse on the one hand can make things quicker in terms of i can pull up the synth i can do that on the other hand you might end up spending longer trying to get that soft synth to sound like 
or to get the mojo you would have got out of the hardware device. So they're kind of, you know, it's not as straightforward as thinking one thing sure. might be quicker than another. Yeah. And, and and what was nice actually working on that album was that we recorded in bits by hand, you know, on the keyboards. Normally you'd, even if you're using the hardware, a lot of people, what we would do a lot of in the past was use MIDI mm -hmm. to record the parts, quantize them and everything, then record them in. But there's actually quite a few parts that are a bit out of time and just played in by hand on the album. It just gives it, there's a little oh, that's thing, cool. little things that give it a bit more of a human touch. And, yeah. you know, I think there's a rawness, even though we're naturally drawn both of us to sort of perfection at the same time, we I think we both recognize that we need to keep a vibe there. And it's, it's not everything is perfect on the album. And, and we're kind of happy with it that way. It's more, it was more when we got to the mixing that we got a bit perfectionist and trying sure. to iron out kinks, but you never get it perfect. It's just it's what what is perfect as well. And all the music that I like tends to be stuff that has a bit of a vibe to it and isn't yeah. per se, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I think for, as, a, as a listener, you know, that's stuff that we can't hear, but we can feel. Yeah, and, and it and it yeah, ends up really important in in the experience of the of the music. Completely, I completely agree. I I did a project. Um, I was asked to redo um, uh, Al Green, the uh, soul artist. Mm. I redid a lot of his big records, cool. uh, with um, a label in America, and um, and and you know, it was, as soon as you tried to, if you start putting those drums in time, whatever. Sure. Yeah. It just sounds ridiculous. It's like yeah. there's no mojo. Absolutely. You know, you're taking right. the nuance of the player out to play mm -hmm. the subtleties and the nuances. There is there is a degree of too far wrong. Sure. There's no question about that. But there is a fine line with mojo in these things. And I think yeah. you know, and that and that's something that sometimes having that little bit of movement and spark and natural and humanity in the musicianship and the performance does you know it's it's irreplaceable yeah you know, well, I love that. great players on l green as well you know mm. for sure oh yeah amazing musicians well i know it's getting uh quite late out there for you guys so um i i have a quick lightning round before i let you go okay. if you don't mind um so you can you can both answer you can take turns uh whatever you want to do i'll leave it up to you um what's your favorite city to travel to Uh, well, I'll say one of the most recent ones I went to, which was Edinburgh, because I love going mm. there because it, it's really picturesque. But in terms of a, a great show, I'd have to go for Los Angeles because we, we have amazing shows. Yeah. Nice. I love LA as well, to be honest, as well. Nice. Me too. Although I love to get over uh, over your guys' way as well. Uh, well, you're definitely <laughs> not going to like this next question. Who's your favorite DJ? God, I mean... Well, one that did change my life years ago was one from Paul Oakenfold in the late 90s, or it was about around about 2000, just because I I saw the way the audience interacted with the music and the sure. lights. I'm yeah, to I mean, that was a magical time. You know, I think so many people were discovering dance music around the world for the first time around then with with yeah. Paul and, and, and a few of those guys. Yeah. What's uh, the last great book you've read? I would say it was that, um, How Music Works. Yeah, I love yeah. that book. David Byrne, great book. I recommend any, any musicians to read that. And the reason being, because I feel like I spent a lot of my life thinking in music, thinking, oh, you know, 
why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? In terms mm-hmm. of certain decisions with the music making. And and that almost helped me back off on that and be more relaxed about it and go, mm-hmm. oh, it's okay for the fact that I want to mix the record like that. Or, you know, that's because it kind of works better in that environment or, you know, just certain decisions that you make. Um, yeah. You understand, yeah, there are, there are limitations in the creative world that are set by where the music will be played and, and that's okay, you know. Sure. No, I love that. And and for me, you know, we have, it was a great reminder. We have this, you know, this ongoing cultural debate about, of, of the idea of good music versus bad music. Right. And, and for me, that book really put all that into context and, you know, this, uh, and that it, that specifically that it changes, right. With how it's being consumed and the place and the, the time that we live in that affects what's good and bad and and you know kind of how we how we receive it yeah absolutely i mean absolutely i know it opens a lot of questions and answers a lot of them as well yeah Yeah. the last book i read was fire and fury i wouldn't say it was great but it was quite a lot of fun (laughs) nothing wrong with that um what movie do you think you've seen the most in your life maybe not when you're scoring because i don't know if that counts I think for me that would be Back to the Future, probably. Mm. Nice. Godfather that. for me. Godfather. I've seen the Godfather more times than any other movie. That That's and the, probably cool. that and the sequel because I tend to watch them together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you saw the offer. Uh, I did. That, yeah. Uh, wasn't that great? Yeah, kind with of Miles Teller talk, talking about yeah, yeah with Miles Teller talking about how the Godfather got made and what an amazing story. Yeah, no, I enjoyed. I don't, they didn't get. I thought the reviews weren't that good, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was yeah. really. I enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by it, and it was just interesting how they just showed the madness with the mob and everything that was going on to try and get it made. But it was very really interesting. Yeah, yeah, we watched that, and then we went back and watched Godfather again. Yeah, that's why. With, with that fresh in mind. This is why I've seen the Godfather too often. Somebody <laughs> brings it up, brings up the book. Oh, you know when that? You know, of it's one of those things. It's so cool. It's brought up a lot. Nice. Um, who's somebody you haven't met who you've learned a lot from? I'd say John Williams, mm. but in terms of from a sure. writing point of view. Just yeah, because yeah. I have never met him, but in terms of musicianship and the approaches to scoring, I would say he's definitely one of my biggest influences. Sure. In a weird way, I'd say Madonna, purely because, like, I think of when I think of Madonna, um, I'm not a massive fan of the music these days, being perfectly honest, but um, just in terms of a pop artist who constantly reinvents herself and yeah. just way that 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 has been managed over the years is 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 quite incredible and i think it's something that you know any artist can learn from 100 percent. i think you know what what she's done is is truly incredible um and uh and i think that first record is is pretty amazing if you if you go back to it it's it sort of stands the test of time yeah um uh, last question: If I worked for you uh, somehow, I was on the Jota team. What's what's something I would hear you say over and over? Darren, you you know what that is, I'm sure. I'm sure you've got it written what's down. Something, well, no, some, <laughs> something that you'd say. Something that you'd say over and over. Yeah, no, something like, something why, "Why do why do we keep doing this?" 
<laughs> that, that that would be something that I probably heard at eleven o'clock most nights. All right. After we changed change the record completely, and then and then it was like, oh, why is it not right now? Within well, half an hour, we do this to ourselves. <laughs> you, might, you might hear. <laughs> so the fine line between sort of self punishment and. Um, <laughs> that's great well thank you both so much i really enjoyed talking with you uh like i said i love the record and i'm excited to see what you come up with next and and hopefully there'll be a live show uh in the future that we can all enjoy um so i'll, I'll definitely share all this in the in the show notes and uh and we'll be watching for what comes next brilliant yeah, thanks for having us on the show really appreciate it thanks for having us thanks for taking the time That was Joda on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, make sure you check out the Joda album on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to music. I don't really care where you listen to it, but uh, check it out. And um, leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought. Here's us up on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, if you're into video, you can watch all of our episodes pretty much now on our YouTube channel. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.